0: Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started.
1: Welcome to this episode of Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. I'm Dr. Armin Feldman. And as always, I'm here with my friend, colleague, and partner in Physicians Legal Consultants, Dr. Mike Bummer.
2: Hi, Armin, and hello to our listeners. We have a special episode that we've kind of been teasing now for a couple weeks, and I just I can't wait to get started, Armin. We have a we have a we have a third person on the line here today, and it's it's an attorney that you've worked with over the years, correct?
1: Correct. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, to have. Uh, Barbara Furatani on with us. She is an attorney in Denver and I've had the absolute pleasure of working with her for a a number of years. And uh, I'll introduce Barbara in just a second, but uh, I do want to say that I have been so impressed with the work that Barb and uh, the other attorneys in her firm and her paralegals and her her whole office does in helping people that have been injured uh, at work. And it's just a pleasure for me to introduce Barbara Ferratani.
3: Well, thank you. I hope I can live up to that expectation. <laughs> 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 um, I, uh, I, I was pleased to be invited. I um, I know that one of the problems for our attorneys is not knowing how to, how to deal with the medical legal issues a lot of times, even if they're experienced. And I was lucky enough to find you, Armin, as you said, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And both of us kind of learned a lot, I think, as we went along.
1: Uh, yeah, I agree. Maybe you could say more about that, uh, Barb, about, um, we met, uh, I, I called you up one day, and you suggested uh, that we have lunch, and we've been working together ever since. And I, I think that was in something like 2011 or 2012. And like you said, I'm not sure we knew exactly how we were going to work together. Can can you say something about how that that process and uh, how we worked out a good work, working relationship?
3: well the thing that was the thing that was incredibly important for me is that um insurance companies have the deep pockets as you know Mm -hmm. and they as far as i'm concerned from this from the side of the person who's representing the injured person um these doctors can be hired to say anything and so it was very upsetting for me to realize that i couldn't help the clients and initially what some of my clients would do is they would come back and say but I didn't say that to that doctor. That's not what the doctor told me, but the report Mm -hmm. didn't reflect it. So my clients started going ahead in many cases and recording their meetings with these doctors. Mm -hmm. Um, And that included supposedly treating doctors because those were also Mm. dictated to them as to who that should be. And when you came along, I thought maybe we can come up with a different model that will help our clients.
2: That is fascinating. I I don't know why but I just had a light bulb go off over my head as well that that makes so much sense that we have these these defense hired doctors but that you were sitting there kind of uh weaponless, right? Kind of without any of your own uh your own equipment to to battle these kind of un questionable statements being made about your client.
3: Yeah, well, I'll give you a good example of something that happened um I fought very hard to get interpreters, good interpreters for my clients, and um, the insurance companies would say, "Well, we can ha- we can hire anybody we want and call them an interpreter." Well, the same sort of thing seemed to happen with the doctors, mm-hmm. um, and and they were not the qu- best quality doctors, unfortunately. I mean, you know, somebody has to graduate at the bottom of their medical school class and still get an MD after their name.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Um, so, so that's when Armin came along, and I said, "I need somebody." who understands both the physical and the psychological part that my clients are going through.
1: Yeah, let me just jump in too, because obviously our attorney listeners know what we're talking about. But for uh, everyone else, and just to be clear, so it's not uncommon in these injury cases for uh, opposing counsel to request what is called an independent medical exam. The uh, opposing counsel gets to uh, actually... uh, choose who that person, who that physician is. So the injured person uh, then is scheduled to see that uh, physician. And a lot of times then uh, an IME report comes back and it's not favorable. I would go so far as to say it's biased. Um, we all know that they're they're very good doctors who do very good IMEs. We also know that in every community across the country, there are a group of doctors that are favored by the insurance side uh, because. Uh, Almost always we know that their opinions uh, are going to favor that position, right, Barb?
3: Yeah, and, and, you know, from my side, we don't call them independent medical exams. We right. call them insurance medical exams. Um, they can use a, the initials IME, but that's not what it stands for for us. Right. The, the The problem, as you said, is that there, there are doctors who really do care. Um, but what I found over the years is that the doctors who cared got pushed out of the system mm-hmm. or got discouraged because they could not... They, if they made a recommendation, the insurance company would fight them on them, and then never use them again to do an exam. And and you know, my my position as an attorney is I want to know what's happening to my client. I want the truth. I don't want I don't want a hired gun from either side, right? Because if because if I don't get the truth, I can't help my client, right? You know, I can't help them get better. Um, I can't help them get the benefits to which they have a right to. I can't educate the judges as to what's happening to them. I can't educate the other side because we have to educate adjusters. We have to educate attorneys who aren't experienced. I mean, I can't do that without a doctor to help me. Right. So
1: we uh, started working together and Barbara, it wasn't long before we had something of a uh, system worked out. Right. So, um, you always do a prep meeting with your client uh, before the IME. What happened is that you asked me to come in and participate in that prep meeting.
3: Right. So, I, I,
1: go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead.
3: I, I wanted to make sure that the client was able to tell you what was going on so that it wasn't a physical exam, but at least they could give you their their under their view of what was happening to their bodies um what they had understood from their treating physician was happening um if you saw things differently you could say to them you know i think this is something else you might want to talk about with your physician or something else you might want to talk about with this insurance doctor and that helped because i think the clients felt that i have somebody in my corner who cares about me and that was huge that was really huge
1: right So actually in those meetings, um, you or uh, the other attorneys uh, in your office would start that prep meeting and go through a, a number of things that you felt it was important for your client to know in advance of the IME. Yes. And then you would turn that meeting over to me. And a lot of times what we did is I would role play the role of being the IME doctor. And we could hear what the, uh, what your client was going to say. And sometimes they were uh, uh, great at um, interacting with the doctor. And sometimes it was helpful to uh, teach them about what the doctor, what the IME doctor is looking for, um, how to answer, you know, You know, of course, we'd always say, you know, first thing, of course, is to tell the truth. The next thing is to listen very carefully to the question that's being asked and answer that question. Uh, But also, uh, for example, we know that when uh, any kind of a patient goes to a doctor, the Patients uh, tend to, uh, m- you know, make their own diagnoses, which t- tend to annoy the doctor. Or they're incredibly tangential. The the doctor may say, uh, "Tell me about the pain in your left arm," and uh, the client slash patient will say, "Well, on Thursday I had lasagna for lunch," and then we would, I would interrupt and say. Uh, you have you have to be very careful about what you're saying because the doctor's looking for some specific information and if you go off on a tangent uh, these people are human they tend to get irritated and annoyed we don't want that to happen so just try to answer the question that's being asked things like that right
3: yeah one of the things that we had a lot of clients from other countries Mm -hmm. um and so that was a big issue i but uh, two of the, I can still, th- I can think of two things that we used to have to say to clients. First of all, your entire leg can't hurt, your entire mm-hmm. arm can't hurt. You didn't break your back. Um, if the doctor said, if the doctor po- says, where do you hurt? Don't say my whole back, because that's what we'd wi- wind up with was these doctors who'd say it was non-physiologic, right? Or they would say exaggeration, and the client wasn't exaggerating. It was their view. And there was a lot of cultural issues that we had to deal with right? because people from a lot of other countries explain their aches and pains, explain themselves very differently than Americans do. Right. And a lot of American men were a problem because they wouldn't explain what, where they were really hurting because then they're not being macho, they're not being a man. Mm-hmm. And we had to talk to them about the idea that, you know what, you're hurting. Your head's attached to your body by your neck, which means it's affecting you emotionally. Mm
2: -hmm. And it's
3: perfectly normal and acceptable to feel depressed, to feel anxious. You have just been injured, and you don't have the job of a lawyer or a doctor where you have lots of options if you get hurt. So for you, you need that body working. Right. And, And I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, in fact, Barb, I used to say in these meetings, now what I want you to do is just take one finger, and point to where it hurts. Right. Uh, And uh, so we could help them to pinpoint where their pain was, so when the uh, IME, might have come back anyway this way, but the IME report wouldn't say, uh, the patient has diffuse pain uh, in in their leg.
3: Yeah, we didn't want anything that was going to be used against them. We wanted to have a really good clean exam and and one of the things as you know um and again i don't know the familiarity of your listeners but one of the things that came up was what else tests right and that became a real hot potato because it was being used as a lie detector test which Mm -hmm. of course it was not it was not developed for that it was developed to see who would be the best patients for surgery so you and i worked together to find out what research could we find and there was a great metadata analysis that was done that said, hey, the only thing we can tell you when you have positive Waddell sign is this person's under psychological stress and it needs to be treated. Yeah. In fact, Barb,
1: we did, Mike and I did a, a podcast earlier about Waddell signs. And we talked about some of that literature in that podcast and for our listeners, if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to our podcast on Waddell signs. And kind of the bottom line on that is the preponderance of the medical literature uh, reports that Waddell signs uh, are not an um, accurate way or not not a way at all of uh, determining if someone is exaggerating or malingering symptoms
3: what was interesting for me was that because, you know, the medical legal community is comparatively small, it's not every single doctor, because most people um, kind of cringe at the idea of this, even though um, I think they have an obligation as a, as a physician to advocate for their patient, because it's their patient. Um, and what, what ended up happening in Colorado is that the doctor stopped using it, because we cross-examined them enough to make them look rather foolish. <laughs>
2: Mm -hmm. interesting so interesting so now you have this this prep meeting and then what was the involvement of armin beyond this what seems to be a priceless prep meeting as the way i followed it
3: well we would have him go to the meeting um he sat he was not allowed to do anything disruptive he had to just sit there um initially he took notes and we had some some defense attorneys who went crazy over that and so they would go to the judge, and, the, and a number of judges said, you can't take notes either. And so um, Armin would just sit there. He'd introduce himself to the doctor, say, I'm here. Um, I've been asked to come here by by claimant's counsel as an observer only. I'm not disrupting your meeting. And then once he was out of there, he would write whatever notes he felt were relevant.
2: Okay. And then would uh, would he wait for that report, I presume, to come back from the, the insurance Medical exam?
3: Yeah, and the nice part was because he did take his notes, not exactly contemporaneously, but pretty close. Um, He would say things to me like, um, well, that doctor didn't do that, or the patient didn't say that. And we would use that to say, hey, you know, this is not an accurate um, representation of what happened in that examination.
2: And we call that, or we label those for our listeners as IME rebuttal reports, because we actually will then write these reports that you then used. But I'd like, in your words, to explain how those reports, what capacity you you used them in, and how effective you thought they were.
3: Well, we would send them to the defense attorney and the adjuster, and say you need to know what's gone on here, and we are going to use this in court if we don't or if we aren't able to come to an agreement on what's going to go ahead as far as treatment, what's going to go ahead as far as any kind of benefits, what's going to go ahead as far as settlement. And it was, and it could come out very strong. Um, Sometimes just like with the defense attorney, I mean, the the insurance doctors, doctors would say, well, you know, you always use Dr. Feldman. And I said, yes, because he's ethical. And I want somebody who's going to, who's going to tell me the truth. And believe me, there were times When Dr. Feldman said to me, Barb, guess what? I don't buy it. This client's got psychological issues going on here. They're they're not malingering, but they're definitely exaggerating. And again, this was very much a cultural issue. Many people from other countries, especially the Latin American countries, would appear to be exaggerating, but their culture is different. Their culture is a more, I mean, Americans are Puritans, whether we like it or not. These people came from cultures that were big big noise, big smile, big talk. And so, of course, everything has to be big. So if I'm seeing the doctor, I'm dying. It's the end of the world. (laughs) You know, We had to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Our clients from Africa also had difficulty with that because many of them came from war zones and there was a lot of PTSD going on and it wasn't being treated. Um, And it wasn't being treated within the system. So these people had issues. And so he would have to come to me and say, we need to talk about getting them care Beyond the physical care that they're getting i'm I'm a big advocate for psychological care because as I said your body's attached to your head by your neck um, and they interact as you know as a physician and so that was very important
1: yeah I do have to throw in one a couple of funny stories one is Barbie said that I would uh, sit in the corner, which is true uh, I don't know if you uh, remember this particular doctor but he would he had a really big office and where he would do the uh, history and the, f- and the uh, exam. And sometimes and he, he, after a few of my reports came back to him, he started having me or he asked me to sit in such, a, in, so far away in one of the corners that I couldn't actually see or hear what was going on. And uh, I had to say to him, look, I, I can't hear or see from here. Uh, I can't sit here, I have to be close enough to do my job and observe uh, this IME. And uh, if we can't work that this out, uh, our attorney has instructed us to leave.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, we did have times, I forgot about that. We had times <laughs> where we did have to have clients leave with you. Yes. Because we'd have a doctor and say, I'm not gonna do this. And my mm-hmm. response was fine, by law I have the right to have this. You don't wanna do the exam, that's fine with me. Um, you know, if if you're if you're gonna go ahead and get yourself involved in medical legal, you know what you're getting into. You're right. not a treating physician. You're doing this as an advocate for the insurance company. So if you're right. gonna be an advocate, you have to be prepared. And that that's that's what we did. We had a number of times. And we had judges who would come back and tell them, if you're gonna do this exam, you have to allow Dr. Feldman in the room. otherwise, insurance company, go get another doctor. And that was funny. Because the insurance companies would say, "Well, well, well, well," you know, "Well, we want Doctor so and so," and the judges say, "You got tons of them out there; just go get another one."
1: Yeah, right. And one other kind of funny thing I just want to mention—I I don't know if it's funny or not—thinking thinking about it, but there was one IME doctor where uh, who was used a lot, and I uh, started observing and writing reports, and after a while, then he brought in another physician do you recall that
3: oh he'd bring it, he'd bring in the pa yeah. or the nurse yeah yeah and
1: so there so that their job apparently was to observe me and so you know we joked well maybe we need to bring in somebody else to observe the observer and pretty soon we need a stadium you know to to have these exams done so uh, some crazy things happen. But um, after a while, uh, most of the IME doctors kind of settled down and let me do my job uh, for you and your client.
3: Um, another thing that was really helpful, and, and I hope your listeners will will um, do their best to do this. You can, in order for an attorney to cross exam I mean, what I've, I've told this to people for years, I know more medicine and psychology than an awful lot of people out there in those professions. Because I can't cross-examine somebody if I don't know as much as they do about what I'm going to ask them questions on. And you were very helpful in doing medical research for me a lot of Mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's when we were going to the the medical school library, and then we were able to do things online. But it was really helpful to be able to say, Barb, here's some research that backs up what it is that we're finding. And that contradicts what this doctor's
2: saying. And that was huge. You know, Barb, I have to jump in and say, I I have on my LinkedIn page, I call myself a not so secret weapon because really uh, we align as medical legal consultants in like we work with our attorneys like you. We don't, we're not just a treating doc or an expensive medical expert. So we're actually, you could just give us, you could tell us exactly what you'd like to know. And then you have us doing research or explaining things in ways that I know, sometimes it's hard to do research if you don't even know the terminology of different body parts, right? If you're looking for a rotator cuff tear, you might not know that you also have to search for supraspinatus tendons or other words that could be uh, even just lead you down paths that without that type of background knowledge your research could be more limited. And I I've, I've certainly run across attorneys that know more medicine than I could have ever imagined before getting into this work, but there's still that gap that I think is kind of what you're referring to that helps equip you to really, you know, show up for battle.
3: Well, and the thing is there was uh, there's always the odd case that comes in because most of what we do is is mm-hmm. musculoskeletal um, and with psychological issues as well. But y- all of a sudden, I get somebody who has another medical condition. I'm like, what in the hell is that? <laughs> and Mar- Armin would come in and say, well, that's what this is. Maybe somebody had um, – and this did happen. Clients would have undiagnosed underlying conditions that were serious. You know, somebody didn't diagnose a heart condition. Somebody didn't diagnose diabetes. Um, somebody didn't diagnose a, a kidney condition. And, and I give credit to the dime doctor when they would do that. Um, and and or Armin, if he would do that, when he'd hear from the client and we'd be able to say, well, wait a minute, somebody better look at this. It may be outside the, the um, workers' compensation or the personal injury or the Social Security. Well, Social Security is different. We always put everything in systems. But the thing is, is this is a medical condition that needs to be addressed.
2: Mm-hmm. and
3: And that's what we got when you guys would come in and be involved yeah and that helped.
2: Have you ever met another doctor doing something similar to this type of work that that Dr. Feldman brought to your practice?
3: No no, I hadn't and and it's interesting because I know that um I know that when we first started doing that we were looked at as the oddballs and I'd I'd get claims attorneys who'd say, well, you know why are you doing that? It costs the client money because it was we it was a cost. And I'd say, you know what? I'm trying to make sure that we cover all our bases and that we're taking care of our client. And, oh, one of the other things, I just remembered this. I had lots of anatomical charts in my office. And I felt, uh, uh, it it irritated me that I was playing doctor. I mean, you know, you guys want to play lawyer, I want to play doctor, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, It irritated me, though, that I was doing what I felt was the job of a treating physician. And because these these guys are on a treadmill at these at these at these clinics for the insurance companies, and so they my clients were lucky if they got ten minutes, and nobody would explain to them physiologically what was happening to them. Um, Armin, address the one about it, about um, what do you call it about arthritis? I always thought that was that was an interesting issue when the clients would say, "Oh, I never had arthritis before."
1: Well, everybody over about the age of forty five uh, has uh, some arthritis and. Uh, right. Yeah. And the
3: client and the clients would say to you, "Oh no, I never had arthritis. Right. I got arthritis from this injury." <laughs> right. <laughs> and then guess what you had to address?
1: Right, right. Right. You know that also reminds me, there was this uh, I'm sure you remember the case. There was this case of this young man who was working at, at a rental store and uh, one of the chandeliers in the warehouse fell on his head. You remember that oh, yeah. case? And he and I were in the waiting room, waiting for the IME to start. And he, he had one of his episodes um, and he left. I mean, he got agitated and he left. And all of the, I think treating doctors too, for that matter, but all of the IME doctors were saying, this guy is just malingering. And I, I got to observe that episode in the waiting room. And to me, it looked like a seizure. And long story short, we had some special EEG testing done. And sure enough, he had a basilar, uh, that's in the lower part of the brain, uh, traumatic seizure disorder from the trauma uh, from being hit in the head. And uh, you were able to then pursue that.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that... (sighs) You're, I mean, one of the things some of the defense doctors would do, um, whether they were IMEs or just treating physicians, was they would make a point of observing our clients because they were so suspicious of anyone who got hurt. And so the observation wasn't just in their office. If they had an office with windows, they would literally stand there and watch our clients mm-hmm. get out of their vehicles. Or they would um, observe them in the waiting room to try and trip them up and say, you know, you're a liar. And it bothered me because the bottom line was, and and I want to make sure that people know this, both physicians and lawyers. There's been research on malingering. The state of California 30 years ago went ahead and set up a fraud unit for their workers' compensation system, and they went ahead and disbanded it after two years. They found out that the, that the amount of fraud was same with every other... Um, thing where people can get money whether it's it's medicaid medicare because there's doctors that that commit fraud on that um they found the amount of fraud was five percent just like everything else but the interesting thing was the amount of the number of people who were committing fraud were employers and insurance adjusters Mm. so you know this the the suspicion and the brainwashing people have had is oh these people are out to scam the system i mean i would tell clients over and over again. There is not enough money in this system to make up for what's happened to your health.
2: Yeah, right. right. Well, Barb, this has just been an unbelievably uh, interesting and fun episode. I. I- figure i could maybe wrap up and just ask what would you say if there's an attorney listening to this podcast who's never considered using medical legal consulting services like dr feldman does in the pre-litigation stages what would you what would you say to them and maybe we'll wrap up there i
3: would say that you're doing your client a disservice if you don't do it it's not as big an expense as what the insurance companies pay and it's worth every penny in my book
2: wow
1: Well, thank you, Barb. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, uh, great to have you on. And for our listeners, if you have a comment, if you have a question, certainly for our attorneys, if you have a case, you can reach us uh, uh, by email at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. And we look forward to having you on the next episode.
0: Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com.